uh, go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Remember me. I am Jorel. I'm your father. Even though you've been raised as a human being, you are not one of them. You have great powers, only some of which you have discovered. man gets older and he thinks very differently and things get very clear. And there's one thing I do know, son, and that is you are here for a reason. Easy, miss. I've got you. you you've got me? Who's got you? We're sitting on top of the story of the century here. Who are you? friend you are revealed to the world but you still must keep your secret identity why your enemies will discover their only way to hurt you by hurting the people you care for i don't know who you are just a friend from another star Is that how a warped brain like yours gets its kicks? By planning the death of innocent people? No, by causing the death of innocent people. Fire. Mind over muscle. They can be a great people, Kalil. They wish to be. They only lack the light to show the way. For this reason, above all, I have sent them you, my only son. Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers, and welcome back to Planet 8. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side, as always, in the command center, and circling Planet 8 in our orbital spy satellite is Reconnaissance Officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet 8 Podcast, we're coming at you with the 1978 classic Superman movie, Kids, this was the movie that made you believe a man could fly. Um, your your commander is the big fan. We're, we're all fans of the movie, but I'm, I'm the big fan here. So I'm going to straight away, we're going to kick it to Commander Larry. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away, Larry. Say, thank you. Thank you. This is interesting. Uh, you know, <clears throat> we did a podcast on the black hole and they brought in all this talent from from uh, model artists and um, mat artists, actors, directors, producers and all that. And the black hole just really didn't fulfill its its mandate of being a, a disaster film in space or, or an action adventure. But I'll tell you. 
Superman the movie and they Mario Puzo. This is one of the things that really like uh, amazes me. The the writer of The Godfather um, wrote the script for this movie. Um, the producers were were the Salklands, uh, Alexander and Ilya Salkand. And I'm not sure the the ins and outs of how they got the rights to Superman, but they were able to work with Warner Brothers. They got uh, Dick Donner on here to direct. Um, Richard Donner famously uh, uh, directed The Omen, the first Omen movie before Superman. He went on to direct uh, Lethal Weapon and and some other uh, uh, movies, action adventure movies and whatnot. But um, they decided to cast. Oh, before we get into who Superman was, who did they get to uh, help sell the movie to, to the studio and the distributors and Gene Hackman. He, he's, a, he's a good Hollywood actor. I mean, he's, he's been in several uh, films, good films. But Marlon Brando, <laughs> do either of you know, was it Mario Puzo who helped them get in contact with with Brando? I think they did. But in one of the specials I had watched, Mario Puzo had like a 500 page script. This thing was like <laughs> yeah. two phone books sitting on top of each other. Right. And it was very 66 Batman campy. Mm. And they basically did not use much of it. And it was uh, Tom, was it Tom Minkowitz? Minkowitz? Mm-hmm. They came in yeah. and rewrote the whole thing yep. into what we had in 1978. But you, I, know, you had the Mario Puzo name on there, which is probably uh, I, what helped attract Marlon Brando. But he also got like... Over $3 million to do about a week's worth of work on uh, on Superman. So that had a lot to do with it, too, I think. And a, and a cut of the, the profits, too. I mean, Brando was getting a sweet deal for doing very little work. And uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but supposedly when he first started talking about the, the role of Jor-El, he proposed that instead of being on screen, they could just use his voice and they could film a bagel yes. <laughs> or, or yes, some I, other object and, and have it be Jor-El. And I, I uh, they said, oh, well. no, no, we, we really need you, Marlon. You're so <laughs> magnificent. Oh, yeah. Or, or, you know, just get an actor who can actually pronounce Krypton. Krypton? <laughs> Krypton. He's from Krypton. You are charged with crimes against the planet Krypton. Look, look, look kids, let's not sabotage this uh, <laughs> podcast today, shall we? Uh, <laughs> um, Larry is not going to let us criticize. <laughs> no, criticize. The, the, the sabotage is uh, the way that Bill Shatner pronounces uh, oh, sabotage. Don't, don't. Correct me. It it disgusts me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We have to do a Shatner episode one of these days. But um, anyway, Mr. Brando didn't bother to memorize a lick of dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) Not one. That's his method. (laughs) I, I guess that's his method, but... Well, that would mean he'd have to put a little more work into it. <laughs> you only get so much for $3 million. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Let somebody else write up the cue cards. <laughs> oh, <God>. um, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm going to be thinking about that bagel thing all throughout the podcast. <laughs> My father but, is a bagel? <laughs> 
They had Christopher Reeve, Margot Kidder, Glenn Ford. I mean, Jackie Cooper. Um, God, I just I love this movie. <laughs> That's a great cast. I mean, they and the best thing they they really did was cast Christopher Reeve. You know, they had talked right. about a lot of big name, well known actors in the role of Superman. You know, Robert Redford and yeah. uh, James Caan, even Dustin Hoffman, which I Dustin cannot wrap Hoffman. my mind around. I'm sorry, that makes Go no figure. sense to me. Paul Newman. <laughs> Paul Newman, yeah. So a That's lot right. of a lot of big one. leading men, uh, but you know, at this at this point, I don't think anyone would ever say that Christopher Reeve, uh, you know, nobody touches that role like he did. He's fantastic. Well, I mm-hmm. think it was the Saul kinds that started hunting through all the A-list actors, and then it was uh, Richard Donner who said, "No, I think it should be an unknown," which yeah, yeah. yeah which was probably a better idea. Because, you know, it's like, well, hey, it's Superman instead of, hey, it's Robert Redford in a cape. Right. They they had Burt Reynolds, Sylvester Stallone. Uh, we already said Paul Newman. Um, Not William Shatner? Bruce Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> See, he could play Superman and then later in his career he could come back as Superwoman. All right. <laughs> yeah, well... Uh, they say Patrick Wayne was cast, but dropped out after his father, John Wayne, was uh, diagnosed with stomach cancer. Um, that well, that probably that? would have been coming on the heels of Clash of the Titans or after? Or not uh, Clash of the uh, No, it was uh, Golden Tiger. Voyage of Sin. No, not Golden Voyage of Sinbad. The Sinbad other one. and the Eye of the uh, Tiger. Eye of the Tiger. Right. Chris Christopherson, Charles Bronson. Um. <laughs> it's just really a lot of uh, ridiculous casting ideas. No Arnold Schwarzenegger? Uh, Arnold is too big and too German. Ilya Salkland's wife's dentist was a screen <laughs> tested. They were getting desperate. That's, that's like uh, plan, plan Nine, right? The Ed Wood's dentist filled in for Lugosi. Right. Uh-huh. Well, and, and the thing with, with Christopher Reeve was at first they're like, no, the guy's too too skinny. He's too yeah, he little. Was, he was tall, but he was lanky, right? Mm-hmm. They Dave Prowse comes in and makes a man out of him. Famously, Dave Prowse of Darth Vader fame. What? As he signed my poster, the Darth Vader. <laughs> so. Let Darth Vader pump you up. <laughs> Apparently it worked because he went from like 180 to 220 or something like that. He put on a lot of mass for the the role, you know. Well, he was even he saying that when he tried out for the role, he wore this big baggy blue sweater just to make himself look bigger. Mm. <laughs> now, I, we should say before this uh, movie, uh, The Adventures of Superman on TV, it was George Reeves who I think portrayed um, Superman, um, an iconic portrayal of Superman, mm-hmm. because as a kid, I mean, it still sticks with me today. Um, so you have to figure in the back of their minds that was kind of like, you know, weighing on them, kind of like when they did the uh, the Batman movie back in 89 and the campiness of of, uh, of the 66 uh, Batman. But um, the Superman, the adventures of Superman was not campy, you know, not like Batman was. But to bring in an unknown, you guys think it was smart to do that rather than bringing, you know, casting it with, you know, Robert Redford or, or whomever. I think it was very smart. Yeah, definitely. You know, 
Um, and, and it worked out it, famously. It worked out very well for them. I mean, they they put a lot of great actors around him, so you still had the draw of you know Gene Hackman and Marlon Brando and all those folks. And Ned Beatty. Let's not forget God. God rest the in late peace. Ned Beatty. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. He recently passed. Um, but Otis, the character of Otis, was great comedy relief for. Uh, Ali, Mr. Luthor. Yeah. <laughs> um, Otisburg. Yes. So here we have a a telling of the destruction of Krypton. I you know for for all the films that they've had since the '78 version of uh, the Richard Donner version of Superman, I think this was the best uh, telling of the destruction of Krypton. Um, special effects wise, you can argue. Um, I'm also a big fan of um, of the Man of Steel. I think that was a, a, a good movie. We won't talk about the other film with Batman and Superman because these two will uh, have at it. <laughs> well, one thing one thing I will say about the destruction of Krypton, and I was watching it on Blu-ray on the big TV, mm. and you can see the wrinkles in that psych behind the explosion, let me tell you. Oh. Lower left, big old wrinkles in the psych. Mm. That's saying. too bad. It's, well, you know, it, it's a testament. They, they didn't think technology would be such that we'd be able to see all that stuff. Uh, that was like watching the, the Bride of Frankenstein. And you can tell when, when Frankenstein's out in the forest and they're hunting for him. It was a, basically a, a drop cloth in the back painting <laughs> with clouds. And, um, or, or famously, uh, Leonard Nimoy's Spock ears in the... Uh, in the original Star Trek, and you can see where the spirit glue in some parts um, put the ears on them. But well, I think Red Walker? Uh, I'm just watching it again. I, I was struck by uh, how much emphasis there was on making, you know, an analogy to Jesus because, you know, Jor-El talks about, you know, how Kal-El Superman is there to, uh, you know, kind of lead the the humans to a better way and he talks about you know i've sent my only son <laughs> and you know as a superman flies up into the clouds and Jorl's face is in the clouds and you know I, I at some point it's sort of like wow they're really hitting you over the head with this and and chris reeve's portrayal of superman is sort of like a very kind god who like oh these these people are so you know uh, like the way he looks at human beings is sort of kindly but like oh they're they're really kind of little idiots that i have to protect and take care of <laughs> you know, I don't know that he, idiots but well just yeah. that, that we kind of don't really we're not mature enough as a species yet to like take care of ourselves like he's he's beneficent towards us but you know, he he's clearly far beyond us in many ways, you know, as most aliens that came to Earth, uh, even E.T. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Let's not go there. But, yeah, it's an interesting aspect of of the movie. And, you know, he just projects so much kindness and, and goodness and everything, which I, I don't know. Even in 78, I think it might have been hard for 
people to swallow if it had been any other actor doing it because he's very sincere in the yeah. role. He he doesn't you know he doesn't play it campy or goofy. He's not winking at the camera or anything. He's just very sincere in this character. He really believes what he's doing. Well, you I, almost I have say- to play it that way because you know if. If you do it wrong, people are just going to laugh at you in every scene. And I think the producers were even kind of going back and forth and, you know, trying to decide how Superman should act. Because, I mean, he's basically a big Boy Scout. And, you know, he's he wants to do good. He wants to, you know, be the good guy and do good deeds and all that. And he never, uh, unlike other superheroes, he never questions himself. He never questions what he's doing. He's just... Full speed ahead, truth, justice, and the American way. Right. Now, now, could Henry Clavel today pull off a Superman like that? Well, no, nor, nor should they try. I think the, the times changed, you know, obviously, and society has changed. But getting back to, to uh, the benevolence and the way that he looked at humanity, I, I will say that Henry Cavill's Superman... Um, that version of super his father was uh, Jonathan Kent or Kevin Costner who played Jonathan Kent had more to do with how Henry Cavill you know you were here for a purpose um, you know and so on and so forth we we can kind of get into the dynamics between the two later on I wanted to touch on um, the film's version of of Jonathan Kent um, you know, did did it? Well, there are, there have been many tellings of Superman, and some he's good, some he's bad, some he's Russian. But in this film, he winds up in Smallville, and his Ma and Pa, Ma and Pa Kent, raise him, you know, on the farm and give him his his values. Obviously, later in life, he meets Jor-El, and Jor-El, you know, fills him in on all this other kind of stuff. But um, don't you think that it was, you know, his his parents that kind of helped him? become who he you know whether it was clark or or superman well i think most parents do for the most part um, you know with everyone so of course you know especially like at smallville it's not like a big right. city where you know you, you interact with a huge populace you're pretty isolated so you know your parents are pretty much your world until you get to a certain age maybe go to school and and learn things there but he even at school he was kind of isolated yeah, he, yeah. he couldn't play football, and so he kicks the football and, like, flattens it while they drive off, you know, with Lana and, you know, the other kids, and uh, Clark was left. And then the, the only uh, criticism I have for this film is is Clark running alongside the train. <laughs> oh, glide running? Yeah, I wish they would have cleaned that up somehow in one of the reissues, but, hey, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, in the one of the behind-the-scenes documentaries, they were – talking about the different things they tried for the running effects. And one of them was a blurring effect. And I actually think that would have been more effective than what they wound up doing, which was having the guy suspended on wires from a crane (laughs) that was running alongside the train. Because, yeah, like you can tell the guy's just like sort of running normal speed, suspended. He's never touching the ground. And, yeah, you're like, there's no way he's... If he's running at that pace, there is no way he's running as fast as the train. It's it's one of the least convincing effects in the film. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think the blur effect would have probably been much better. Well, they were putting all their efforts into making him fly, not making him run. Yeah. 
True. And you got to admit the flying effects and the wire work and all that were pretty amazing because you didn't have digital effects back then. You just had, you know, you had to Mm -hmm. suspend them by wires and, you know, have a wind tunnel where the cape's blowing and, you know, lift lift him up and down with Lois in his arms and all that. I've got to say the the flying is superb. And I was struck by that watching this movie again after many years. Um, I get a feeling from Superman flying in this that I don't get from any Marvel film. And what it is is sort of a, a majestic feeling, you know, that his flight is really beautiful and and sort of um, just, I don't know what the word is, grand. Like it's, yeah. it's you know, it's very fantasy-like, whereas, you know, I enjoy the Marvel films. I'm a Marvel person. I grew up reading Marvel comics and, you know, I enjoy seeing like Iron Man fly and stuff. But it seems very grounded in realism. And it's almost like watching Iron Man fly is almost like watching a jet fly or, you know, any of the characters. It's very realistic. Whereas Superman flying, when he suddenly just takes off, you know, his feet just leave the ground and, and then he's like flying in, in space and stuff. It, it's It really has almost the same sort of magical effect is a lot of like the old Harryhausen movies or, you know, it, it tickles a part of my brain, I guess. I don't know. That's just like, Oh, look at that. You know? Well, if you, if you look back in that era, special effects in the seventies, yeah, obviously they were practical effects, but you were kind of bridging the gap between cheap effects and, you know, the, the CG and whatever of today. And I think it was like a perfect balance. And they all kind of have that look, and I kind of noticed it in Superman, whether it's Superman or Star Wars or even Logan's Run. I mean, you've got that kind of, maybe it's the film grain, but, Mm. you know, you have that sort of unpolished look that actually makes it look better than clean, stylized CG. Mm -hmm. They had had mentioned this in some of the documentaries. that the flying was obviously the gimbals and the rigs and everything, but it was Christopher Reeve who would, you know, kind of tilt his body a certain right. way, or, you know, kind of move his right hand a certain way, his, his back foot as he landed or, you know, whatever. And the, the first time he takes off into flight from the fortress after he becomes uh, Superman, goes from Clark to Superman with the suit and everything. And he kind of does that like tilt to the right or to the left. And that John Williams Superman, you know, and that leads to that majestic feeling that you spoke of. Uh, Walker, I, I, I agree with you 110%. I mean, that is just like, and, and I love the Marvel films, don't get me wrong, from the Guardians to Thor to Captain America. I love Winter Soldier, I think, is one of my favorite Marvel films. But none of the DC films, none of the Marvel films ever captured that majesty of Superman initially taking flight. Mm-hmm. There's another part, too, that's very special to me that you don't really see in, in any of the other superhero films. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just something where, you know, it really took you into the film. Uh, and God bless John Williams. I mean, that Superman music is as is as iconic to me as, as anything that he did for Star Wars. Jaws, all that stuff. Well, much like Jaws, he also had a build up part. Yes. Because it's always a dun 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 
And it's like building and building and building. And yeah, he was saying that the first, I guess the first time he came up with that was when, you know, Christopher Reeve is running towards the camera and it's like the dun 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 And then he pulls his shirt apart and there's the S and it's like dun 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 and then it goes into the big crescendo. And, and, uh, and let's uh, make sure we enunciate. Uh, Bob said the letter S, not uh, his ASS. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> the sign of hope was that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a freaking ass, people. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, I but mean, no, I mean like that first right. scene you were talking about. He's in the Fortress of Solitude, and he actually takes off slowly and flies towards the camera. And then, yeah, he does that bank. Yeah. Where he banks and goes off the right side of the screen. And definitely, definitely cool. Because, I mean, that was their whole tagline, right? You'll believe a man right. can fly. So, you know, they had to come through with that at least. They, they had some fun with it, too. I mean, that scene you were describing, Bob, about him, you know, racing across the street, opening his shirt, <laughs> showing, showing the emblem, the S. Uh, he goes to look for a phone booth. And there's just one of those little pop-up phones you know, with with the little barrier around the top part, there's no phone booth. So he has to like, you know, run across the street. He he goes into um, one of the rotating oh, doors in yeah, a revolving hotel. door. Right. Yeah, goes to that really fast. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, the best part of that is when he he comes out in his suit, and there's a gentleman there. I won't say what his profession is, but it rhymes with blimp. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Whoa, Jim, that is a bad outfit." <laughs> Ooh, it's yep. almost like Ooh. Ric Flair. <laughs> Excuse yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that is very cool. Um, yeah. You know, we kind of talked about the actors and everything uh, before this, but Margot Kidder um, honestly wouldn't have been my first choice. Mine either. As as Lois Lane, but I guess the chemistry between the two. Well, and yeah, we can see it in the film. But when they when they had them doing a screen test, they just really complimented each other. Uh, and it shows in the film, too. I mean, yeah, I would. Uh, I don't think I would have, you know, if you just showed pictures of actresses, I don't think Margot Kidder would have been my first thought for a Lois Lane. Uh, but you're right. You know, the way that she and Christopher Reeve played off of each other was just perfect. You know, they have a perfect flow. And and you completely buy that they are um, interested in each other, that, you know, that there's a chemistry there. So, yeah, definitely. Well, Margot Kidder even pointed out in an interview that, you know, like Superman and Clark Kent, he's acting as two totally different people. Well, if you look at Lois Lane, when she's with Superman, she's like this coy schoolgirl with a crush. <laughs> but when she's with Clark, she's take charge and, you know, full speed That's ahead true. and totally different personality. She just melts in front of Superman, but she takes charge in front of Clark Kent. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but I think, you know, I think Christopher Reeve, I think the one scene that really shows his acting ability and the, and the difference between Superman and Clark is when he's in Lois's apartment. Right. Oh, yeah. And yes. he's about to tell her, and he, like, takes off the glasses, and he starts standing more erect and straight, and you can see this confidence in his face. And then she comes back, and he, like, puts the glasses on, and he's all, you know, meek and mild yeah. again. And, you know, there was not one 
practically one word said, but just his mannerisms, his expressions totally told the story. Exactly. Exactly. So well done. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I remember that scene when he just kind of like, you know, bent back out, you know, hunched over again, like, oh, hello, Lois. Oh, golly, you know. <laughs> yeah, he he would completely change his his posture, even his face, kind of the way he held his face. Um, yeah, it was just brilliant the way he did that. And you could really see like, oh, maybe somebody could see pictures of both of them and not not put it all together, you know? Well, I think it's more, yeah. and it always has been, even back to George Reeves, uh, the mannerisms, the, the meek, the mild. Mm-hmm. Although George Reeves, Clark Kent, was not like bumbling and... I was going to say, you know, yeah. He, he was pretty straightforward. But, but the whole idea is that, you know, you have to portray... Clark Kent in a way that people would say, oh, even if they they look alike and say, oh, there's no way this guy could be Superman. <laughs> right. Clark, he played along the same lines as like Jimmy Olsen for me in this film. You know, gosh, Mr. Kent. Oh, Jimmy, you know, a <laughs> little too much bumpkin, too much Smallville. But hey, it worked. You know, it, it, it showed the difference between uh, Clark and Superman. Um, yeah, it, it it's just a shame to me that um, they weren't able to capture the magic in the first film in, in the other films. We won't really get into the other films tonight, but um, it, it's just a shame, you know, especially the later films. <laughs> well, I mean, the interesting thing was they shot. Superman and Superman 2 simultaneously. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, they were like, they'd be doing a Fortress of Solitude with just Christopher Reeve, and then they'd bring Gene Hackman in, and then they'd bring in, you know, General Zod or whatever. And they were doing that up until the point where they're running out of budget. And then they kind of put Superman 2 aside and finished up Superman. But yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah budgetary reasons and what was really crappy was then after superman premiered in december of 78 and was a hit then they decide to go ahead and finish off superman 2 but they fire richard donner and then hire richard lester to finish up the film and uh yeah that that was yeah richard lester of hard day's night fame if he can direct the beatles he can direct superman right <laughs> yeah, it's just you know. I mean, I I know that Donner and the Salkins Salkines did not see things eye to eye, and of course there were you know budget overruns and time overruns. But it just seems like, hey, this is the guy who who got you you know to the finish line with number one. You might as well stick with him. But I guess they didn't. Uh, I don't know, maybe they just had enough or whatever and decided, screw you, we're going with somebody else. Well, uh, you know, the the cast and the crew, the interviews that I've seen had nothing but good things to say about working with and for uh, Richard Donner. Yeah. And what he brought out of the actors and... You know, the 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 special effects. I mean, everyone, you know, he, he was the director on that film. He was experienced. And, um, you know, they all say good things about him. And, and they were shocked, uh, shocked when they were told he wasn't going to come back because he didn't really air his laundry out, you know, mm-hmm. with with the cast and the crew. They they'd hear things and they'd see things and, you know, figure, OK, well, you know, maybe that blew over. But um, 
Well, you know, Richard Don- Donner was actually the second pick. The original, for, uh, the original director yeah. of Superman was going to be Guy Hamilton. Right. Who basically is running one of the... He and Barbara Broccoli are running the Bond franchise now. But he right. uh, was the original director. And then I think they changed. I think they went from uh, somewhere else. They went, decided to go over to Pinewood Studios. And he was stuck in Italy or somewhere and couldn't do it. And that's when they brought Richard Donner in. Mm. Well, and again, I think Donner did a great, great job on the film. Great job with the cast and the crew. Um, it, it, just a little plug. If, if you guys haven't had a chance to look at the Donner cut of Superman 2, I, I recommend it. Um, he, he uh, well, anyway, yeah, if you get a chance, watch it. We'll, we'll focus more on, on this film. Um, well, here's, here's a question the for you guys though. then. Did you watch the theatrical version of Superman or did you watch the extended version? Both. Both. Wow. That's dedication. Holy holy cats. I watched the theatrical, but I did watch one scene from the TV version, which is when Superman uh, breaks into Luthor's hideout. Which is actually much better in the uh, extended version. Oh, yeah. Because you get, you know, they shoot him with bullets and hit him Mm -hmm. with fire and everything else. And in the theatrical version, he just kind of like drops into the sewer and pops through the wall. Here I am. Yeah, yeah, all those booby traps he set for him. Yeah, which kind of makes me wonder why they cut that out. You know, it's like, hey, there's more excitement in this film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure it was just a time consideration, but it it makes much more sense why he's so PO'd when he finally gets in and confronts Luther. You know, because oh, yeah. yeah, in the theatrical version, he just sort of drills through the the sidewalk and then kicks in a door and and he's all pissed off and it's sort of like wow why is he so steamed you know he's <laughs> but then if you watch the other version it's like oh yeah okay now i get it um i was gonna say the uh um the scene where he drills into the uh into the ground to get to luther's lair i mean that that's just old school cinematography no cgi whatsoever some people think it's hokey as all hack but i I really like that i mean him holding up the train track as the you know the earthquakes are coming Mm -hmm. out you know stops the train from going all that stuff is just you know even even when he's uh flying around the core of the earth putting the magma and the rocks back in you know place it's that's the thing like if you look at it in the first movie he doesn't have any physical altercation really with anybody it's all him like saving people from disasters what either man-made or you know natural however you want to look at it you know it kind of ties into the whole disaster movie craze of the 70s you know because like he saves the kids off the bridge he builds back the the fault he uh saves the ki- uh, Jimmy from the dam and all that, you know, he's knocking the rocks in to stop the water from flooding the town. I mean, it's it always to me felt like they kind of put Superman in the middle of a disaster movie at, in that third part. Um, and yeah, he doesn't, you know, it's, you have to wait until Superman two to get any fisticuffs. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you got to figure too, it's like bringing Lex Luthor in as the main villain, you know, like Superman could flick his finger and knock him across the room. It's like, oh yeah, there's no, there's nothing to fight unless unless Lex Luthor came up with a Superman Buster suit or something. But um, 
But yeah, I mean, he was, he's, he's more the intellectual match more than the physical match. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you had he, to, Superman had to do super deeds. So to show his superness. Something. That's right. He has to be super. But, uh, hey, Lex figured out kryptonite was uh, Superman's Achilles heel. So, you know, that that brain was working. It was working overtime because he figured that out pretty quick. <laughs> well, it's the position of, of this galaxy and the position of it's like okay i'm not going to worry about it i just turned everything off at that point everything- it was the word krypton that set me off initially <laughs> yes i, I was going to say thank you steve walker for uh, not going, uh <laughs> to uh, into the the science of of superman um <laughs> there, there is none but that's okay i enjoy it anyway Hey, I, I'll give you two reasons why I like this. Miss Tessbacher. Am I right, Bob? Uh-huh. Yeah. Valerie Perrine. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, yes. Miss Tessbacher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a trio of villains. Miss Tessbacher, Lex Luthor, and Otis. Go figure. Yeah, and, you know, the, hey, the interesting thing, too, game. is in like last season, I don't think it was this season, I think it was last season of Supergirl, Yeah. Lex Luthor's in the series, but he, they actually brought Otis and Miss Tessmacher in as characters. <laughs> Did they really? It's yeah, John Cryer, yeah. I know, is playing Luthor. Yeah, and then he had his assistant, which was Miss Tessmacher. I think she huh. turned out to be an android or something like that, but <laughs> a cyborg type thing. As often okay. happens. But he had a bumbling Otis as well. Interesting. Yeah. You know, I forgot to mention was Larry Hagman had a cameo in this film. <laughs> he did. He was the, uh, he was it a captain or, uh, no, he was a captain because he told Lieutenant, get out of the way. Wouldn't have my men do anything I wouldn't be willing to do myself. And that was to help resuscitate Miss Tessbacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was a pretty was quick scene, a quick, pretty quick cameo. And then Rex Reed had a cameo. And Rex Reed, that's right. They were throwing people in left and right. Yeah. I think Larry Hagman, I just looked it up. So Dallas had just started. Ah. When uh, that year, 1978, uh, so yeah, his JR days had just begun. So he was more (laughs) Major Nelson at the time. (laughs) But also, speaking of cameos, in the train, you had Kirk Mm -hmm. Allen, who played Superman in the serials, and Noel Neal, who played Lois Lane in the serials and in the George Reeves Superman series. Yes. Very, very... Something for everybody. Because she played in this movie, she played Lois's mother. Because Lois is the little girl in the train, right? When Superman's, or when uh, Clark Kent is running, gliding by. Speaking of little girls, one of the moments that I I noticed uh, the last couple of times I've watched the film is uh, the the Superman's first night in public when he goes out and does so many super deeds. One of the things he does is he rescues a cat from a tree for a little girl. Yep. And he gives the cat to the girl and he, he's like, okay, now, you know, bye-bye. And he flies off and the little girl runs back into her building and we can't see what's going on, but we can overhear voices. And, and the little girl's like, mom, mom, I, a man came by and he f- flew up in the tree and got Trixie and flew, you know, or whatever. And, and then the, the woman says, 
what have I told you about lying to me? And we hear a slap. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoa, Superman caused the little girl to get smacked around. You think he would have heard that, though, as he was flying away? Yeah, he probably should. You think he should have flown back and, and shown the lady, hey, she's telling the truth. Kicked mom's butt? Yeah, well, you know, at least, it, well, yeah, maybe the modern version would. And the, the Christopher Ray version would just say, ma'am, she's telling the truth. <laughs> yeah, help her out a little bit. Jeez. I know. Poor well, kid. You know, Going back, thinking about, you know, the first time he, he, you know, does one of his big super feats is rescuing Lois out of the helicopter. Yeah. You know, and, and she falls out and he says, don't worry, Miss Lane, I have you I, or whatever. She's like, you're holding me, but who's holding you? <laughs> <laughs> there's some there's some really good lines. You know, and, and I'll tell you, when I first saw this, all of that to me was just like phenomenal. Like, oh, my God. You know, now I think we're spoiled after Guardians and after Iron Man and Thor and, you know, all these miraculous things they're doing with like hundreds of different elements, you know, CGI flying and magic and portals. And but back then to to watch Superman fly, grab a helicopter from falling in one hand and rescuing Lois in the other arm, that to me was like. Oh my God! I can't believe you know I'm I'm watching this. Um, well, there's an advantage to seeing things in order. Yeah. Because if you watch all the Marvel movies and then say, "Oh, hey, there was a Superman movie back in 1978. I'll go check that out." Maybe you wouldn't have been quite as impressed. <laughs> well, look, all the nieces and nephews are like, "Why did Pumbaa like the first Star Wars movie so much?" Ugh. It, that like, wounds me. It wounds you me. You, well, other than Kayla. Kayla gets it. But Kayla well, you know, grew up on that. So, but, but I have sort of this same thing. I think it's analogous to like sometimes you go out and you get some food item, whether it's like ice cream or a burrito or whatever, and they try to shove as much crap into it. You know, you can't just get like an ice cream with maybe some... I don't know, some, some, you know, cookies crumbled into it and maybe a little caramel on it. No, you got to have like 12 ingredients in it, right? Or a burrito. You can't just get like your beans, some meat, a little cheese, maybe a, a little, you know, pico de gallo. No, we're going to put like three types of cheese. We're going to put like six types of beans and rice and maybe some potato. It's like these things become so congested with so many elements that you cannot enjoy the individual elements, right? And it's sort of like these movies sometimes. Like if I try to watch like Endgame, like that final battle, it's just like it's just <laughs> like a big freaking mess. I don't know what's going on. Who cares? It's too many people. But something like, you know, Superman, you know, going and grabbing a missile and throwing it into space, it's like, oh, he's doing something really important that I can focus on, you know? Well, you know, well, wait until Superman 4 when he takes all the nuclear missiles in the world <laughs> and throws them into the sun. And then there's some things we just will never, ever talk about. Well, <laughs> let, let me let me tell you guys this, because I, I did take a deep dive. Um, I watched Supergirl with with Helen Slater. 
Oh, brave man. And uh, there's a movie that, I have not seen in years. Yeah, Don't neither. bother. Don't bother. <laughs> but those of you who dare, HBO Max, I am now brave enough to go back and rewatch Superman 3 and 4 because I don't think they're going to be as bad as Supergirl. <laughs> oh, you might that be surprised. Me- oh, what's that, Bob? Oh, you might be surprised. I, I don't know, man. I, that Supergirl was just, you know, she flies out of the lake like the Excalibur sword. And yeah, I'm like, what What does that have to, you know? And then uh, Faye Dunaway it, it does a great job at acting. But what the hell, man? I Anyway. <laughs> well, hearkening, hearkening back to the Supergirl TV show, her parents in that show were played by his. Her mom was played by Helen Slater. Yep. And the father was played by uh, what's Dean Cain. Dean Cain, yeah, who who Dean was Kane, in yeah. uh, Lois um, and Clark. Lois and Clark. They actually, um, did, I got to say, the DC TV shows did a pretty good job of kind of bringing a lot of those older actors, characters back into not just in the crossover ones, but I mean the the original Flash from the eighties came back and played oh. Barry's father in the Flash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things yeah. like that. It's it's cool for us old people to see. Oh, I remember him. <laughs> so speaking of old people, I guess I got to ask you guys, where did you first see Superman? Where the movie Grand Lake Theater in Oakland, California. Dang, it's precise. I was going to say I saw it in the theater, but I don't nah. remember which theater. But I, I saw it in the Santa Maria theater the big theater before they split it up into three theaters right i I was gonna say the the oakland um theater there uh it was the grand theater i mean it still has like one of the biggest screens huge curtain had a balcony back in the day Mm -hmm. but now the balcony's a separate so the grand lake and as you drive along the 580 freeway you used to be able to see the grand sign all lit up and it had like neon fireworks that would like pop up and it was it, was, it truly was a movie palace bob where'd you go well you alan you sean if you're listening bring all that back to the grand lake <laughs> dude <laughs> tell me about it uh like i, I said i do remember more- i saw it in the theater i want to say it was probably on the big curved screen of the hyatt cinema in burlingame oh the hyatt see i would have thought the coronet but yeah well, see, I grew Hyatt. up on the peninsula, so most of my right. movies were like at the Hyatt or the, you know, the Manor or whatever, you know, the Hillsdale Cinema. No. I pretty much stuck to the peninsula until, you know, I got a little older and then I'd venture into San Francisco and wherever, wherever the cool movies were showing. Yeah. Back then we had to walk over. Um, well, we didn't have to, but we could. We walked along the lake and. Back in those days, we had to crawl on our bellies. <laughs> we swam asphalt. through the crocodile-infested waters of Lake Merritt. And I'll tell you. <laughs> no, no, no crocodiles. They were just um, crackheads and, and um, pimps. But, you know, hey, um, it was the 70s, so. <laughs> Cocaine is a hell of a drug. <laughs> just, Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, uh, good times at the Grand Lake. Um, so we're, I have we, a, I have a Grand Lake story. I don't know if we should shoehorn it, couple, shoehorn it in or not. This this is a Superman episode. Yeah, that's true. I'm just I'm just saying. <laughs> I'll make it quick. We were at the Grand Lake, a bunch of us to see Cloverfield, 
And everybody was kind of worried about getting motion sickness watching the movie. And so, you know, we all, some of us sat back, some of us sat up towards the front. The only person who got motion sickness was Webster Colcord. <laughs> the man, who, the, the man who was working on effects back then. Hmm. And still is. But <laughs> of all the people that could have gotten the motion sickness from the film, that it is was funny. Webster. A big screen, too. Very big screen. Yeah, no, yeah, no, definitely. Saw a few, uh, even though I was growing up on the other side of the bay, I saw quite a few movies there. And we put on a couple shows there, too, so. Cool theater. I was fortunate enough to see Bob Wilkins there put on a, I want to say it was a Sinbad movie. And then John Stanley uh, showed The uh, Legend of the Lone Ranger. Superman, where... We're Superman. talking about Superman, though. That's right. So <laughs> we'll leave your features out of this. Wandering down back. memory lane. Um, well, any final thoughts about uh, Superman 78? Uh, I got to say that, uh, you know, I, like Karen, you know, I'm a, I grew up a Marvel guy. Make mine Marvel the whole thing. But I did, I did heavily grow up on George Reeves' Superman and Adam West's Batman. And as far as the uh, DC superheroes go... You really can't slight Superman or you really can't underestimate the impact that he had because he was the first superhero, right? Mm-hmm. He was it. He, If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have all this other stuff. So to bring him into a big budget at the time film and pull it off the way they did was nothing less than extraordinary. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm with you, Bob. Uh, Batman 66, the George Reeves Adventures of Superman. Um, I'll, I'll even say the Super Friends. You know, um, that that beginning of the Super Friends was very reminiscent of the bum, 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 bum. Just slowed down. Super Friends was dun, 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 dun. <laughs> well, Super, Superman had his own cartoon, too, right? He, yeah. he did. Yeah, like the Batman and Superman hour. That had a that. cool theme, too. It was like... It was dun, filmation, dun, dun, I think, dun, right? dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> So to, to see, you know, the the movie to me, I still man, and, and right with all the Marvel movies, with all the other great great Marvel movies. Don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, you know, I still cry at the end of Endgame when you know, on your left, Cap, Steve, is that you? Or, uh, Sam, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> but um. The, the ending to Superman was just as fantastic as any part of the film. The only time during the movie where Superman breaks the fourth wall and, and you know, the, the John Williams music is playing. Dun, 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 dun. He's flying above the earth, having set everything right, breaking the laws of man and, and nature. And he just kind of flies off and kind of looks at you out of the side of his eye and smiles. And I'm like, ah, oh, my God. <laughs> he's smiling at me. He's smiling at me. He, he at knows. Me. <laughs> he loves me. I, he I knows felt I'm like in Lois the did when, was that Bob? He knows I'm in the theater. Yeah, exactly. I, I felt like Lois when, you know, she did that. Oh, we, we didn't even talk about the montage. Can you read my mind? Dun, I was dun, hoping dun, we wouldn't. <laughs> What'd you say, Walker? I was hoping we wouldn't. Well, when, when, you, when you were in the theater and Superman looked at you, pink? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, Miss Elaine. I didn't mean to embarrass you. And that's when she did that. Oh. So. Well, I but. think. 
it's a it's a testament to the quality of the film and to yeah. Christopher Reeve and his portrayal of Superman yeah. that even today, you know, when you talk to people about, oh, hey, what are the top superhero films of all time? Th- this film will consistently show up on people's lists. You know, if you're talking to people, you know, obviously a lot of people, you know, our age, but I see it pop up uh, with younger people, too. And I think it's it's, you know a powerful film still. Yeah, it's it's a very lighthearted film, especially compared to a lot of the stuff that comes out now. But again, it's something about that fantasy, the majesty, you know, all of that that really comes through and is still, you know, still there with the film even today. Well, there's something uh, to be said about a superhero who wants to be a superhero. Mm-hmm. Right. Like unabashedly not questioning it. I'm here to do good. I'm here to help people. And, you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah, Until Superman, Superman 2. Well. And then in Superman 2. But he learned his lesson. <laughs> um, he got he got led off the tracks by a skirt. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but, again, if you guys haven't seen the Donner cut of Superman 2, I highly recommend it. Um what else about Superman? Uh, the music, the, the the actors, the director. Beautiful film. It's going to be interesting, guys. Uh, I'd like, uh, hopefully, before the end of this year, I know we just did our, our top 10 sci-fi movies, and it killed us to narrow <laughs> down the thousands of sci-fi movies that we like to just 10. It will be interesting to, say, to see. I think you all know where Superman's going to be on my list. But it'll be interesting for me to see where Superman lies on... Uh, the chief and uh, Walker's uh, lists. Which lists? Uh, I, I'm saying be- before the end of this year, I hope to do a top 10 superhero. Oh, list. superhero list. Yeah. Ah, we, okay. we did our sci fi list. I, I'd love superhero to do a superhero movie superhero list, film. right? Super, yeah, right. Because number one will be Superman, and number two, you know, is going to be Batman versus Superman on my list. I'll just put that out there right now. So. Our lists are going to be very, very different, my friend. <laughs> I can make a whole top ten list of just Ultraman movies. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe we should reconsider that episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, the only other thing I'll say is the movies, and this is in general, not just Superman, but they're all a product of their times. Yeah. And they're all true. influenced by what went on when they were being made. So you have to kind of look at them and take them in that tone. Now, if you get a movie like Superman or whatever that transcends that and continues to entertain decades later, then then you have what you could consider a true classic. Yeah. Well said, Bob. Well said. Um, well, look, guys, that brings us to the censor sweep. And uh, I was talking, uh, yours truly has this uh, this episode, censor sweep. I was talking with Bob and Karen before the show. I was going to showcase a doomsday statue that I'd picked up on uh, on Sideshow. Not the $1,200 one. This is like the more of the $200 one, but it's no longer available. So I, I didn't feel right um, putting it so, out there. So now it is a $1,200 one. What's that? It's no longer available. So now it is a $1,200 one. <laughs> Well, I, I didn't look on eBay. I'm, I'm afraid it might be. But and I'm not going to pick up what I'm sharing because it's it's oh, going to no, go you gotta, off. You got to pick making... it up. You got to like share it in all its glory. It's it's going to make lightning. No- OK, well, I Here have the Hasbro version of Stormbringer. This is Thor's 
<laughs> or Stormbreaker. Sorry, Stormbreaker. And I swear to God, this thing's like four feet tall. The the axe hammer part of it covers my head. I mean, jeez. I think I just got a little shock touching this. <laughs> it lights up quite nicely, too. It, it, it does. I mean, this is, I don't know how to make it stop, so I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> this is put out by Hasbro. It's, it's readily available at, at online uh, shops. Uh, is it in stores? Entertainment or? Earth, Amazon. Uh, you know, I never saw, they have some stuff at Target and uh, Walmart, but I've never seen this there. But you can never find any of the stuff at Target and Walmart. I, yeah, well, you know, we have some friends that kind of case out the joints here in our area. So, um, But yeah, I, actually, this one I got off of Amazon at a decent price. It's it's heavy. It's well made. The detail, you know, Groot's um, uh, arm or, or you know appendage, whatever he used. To, uh, appendage. <laughs> Be careful there. Now there's a hammer for you. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, but I digress. Oh, I even, I found Stormbreaker on Amazon. It's 150 bucks. It is a bit of an investment. It is a bit of an investment. Um, but you can still get it. There's a bunch of Stormbreakers on there. But I have to ask you, though, do you have yeah. Mjolnir to go with it? I, I most certainly do. Um, Mjolnir you have to turn on to. There we go. So uh, the hammer part of this oh, <laughs> is actually fairly large as well. Um, that's put out by Hasbro as well, and and we might as well make it a trifecta. I also have the Infinity Gauntlet. That uh, I, I'm only putting Stormbreaker in the the write up, so there you go. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we had we had a guy at one of our Godzilla nights, Charlie Soto, and he's just the, you'll see him at the toy shows and stuff here in the Bay Area. He makes like movie props, and he made. Mjolnir. And I have, mm. People have seen my Facebook page. I have a picture holding it. But he made the head of the hammer out of a small cinder block. <laughs> so this thing was like, you know, here, <laughs> are you worthy? Pick it up. <laughs> this 30-pound hammer. Oh. Yeah. The Stormbreaker well, so. with the appendage is definitely pretty cool. <laughs> it is very cool. And um, yeah, if you get a chance to, to help yourself to one, please do. <laughs> on, on that note, this draws this episode to a conclusion. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Um, make sure to uh, go over to our YouTube and comment, like, and subscribe. Take care of yourselves until next we meet. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8, signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.
Why are you here? There must be a reason for you to be here. Yes, hmm? I'm here to fight for truth and justice in the American way. <laughs> You're going to end up fighting every elected official in this country. 